0: chapter 6 of the danger trail this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by roger maline the danger trail by james oliver kerwood chapter 6 the love of a man for a moment the girl hesitated her ungloved hands clenched on her breast her bloodless face tense with a strange grief "'as she saw the outstretched arms of the man "'whom her treachery had almost lured to his death. "'Then slowly she approached, "'and once more Howland held her hands clasped to him "'and gazed questioningly down into the wild eyes "'that stared into his own. "'Why did you run away from me?' "'were the first words that he spoke. "'They came from him gently, "'as if he had known her for a long time.' In them there was no tone of bitterness. In the warmth of his gray eyes there was none of the denunciation which she might have expected. He repeated the question, bending his head until he felt the soft touch of her hair on his lips. "'Why did you run away from me?' She drew away from him, her eyes searching his face. "'I lied to you,' she breathed, her words coming to him in a whisper." i lied the words caught in her throat he saw her struggling to control herself to stop the quivering of her lip the tremble in her voice in another moment she had broken down and with a low sobbing cry sank in a chair beside the table and buried her head in her arms as howland saw the convulsive trembling of her shoulders his soul was flooded with a strange joy not at this sight of her grief, but at the knowledge that she was sorry for what she had done. Softly he approached. The girl's fur cap had fallen off. Her long shining braid was half undone, and its silken strands fell over her shoulder and glistened in the lamp glow on the table. His hand hesitated, and then fell gently on the bowed head. "'Sometimes the friend who lies is the only friend who's true,' he said. "'I believe that it was necessary for you to lie.' Just once his hand stroked her soft hair. Then, catching himself, he went to the opposite side of the narrow table and sat down. When the girl raised her head, there was a bright flush in her cheeks. He could see the damp stain of tears on her face, but there was no sign of them now in the eyes that seemed seeking in his own the truth of his words, spoken a few moments before. "'You believe that?' she questioned eagerly. "'You believe that it was necessary for me to lie?' She leaned a little toward him, her fingers twining themselves about one another nervously as she waited for him to answer. "'Yes,' said Howland. He spoke the one word with a finality that sent a gladness into the soft brown eyes across from him. I believe that you had to lie to me. His low voice was vibrant with unbounded faith. Other words were on his lips, but he forced them back. A part of what he might have said, a part of the strange, joyous tumult in his heart, betrayed itself in his face and before that betrayal the girl drew back slowly, the color fading from her cheeks. "'And I believe you will not lie to me again,' he said. She rose to her feet and flung back her hair, looking down on him in the manner of one who had never before met this kind of man and knew not what to make of him. "'No, I will not lie to you again,' she replied more firmly. "'Do you believe me now?' yes then go back into the south i have come to tell you that again tonight to make you believe me you should have turned back to le pas if you don't go tomorrow her voice seemed to choke her and she stood without finishing leaving him to understand what she had meant to say in an instant howland was at her side once more, his old, resolute, fighting blood was up firmly. he took her hands again, his eyes compelling her to look up at him. If I don't go to- tomorrow, they will kill me. He completed, repeating the words of her note to him. Now, if you are going to be honest with me, tell me this: who is going to kill me, and why he felt a convulsive shudder pass through her as she answered. I said that I would not lie to you again. If I cannot tell you the truth, I will tell you nothing. It is impossible for me to say why your life is in danger. But you know? Yes. He seated her again in the chair beside the table and sat down opposite her. Will you tell me who you are? She hesitated, twisting her fingers nervously in a silken strand of her hair. "'Will you?' he persisted. "'If I tell you who I am,' she said at last, "'you will know who is threatening your life.' He stared at her in astonishment. "'The devil, you say?' The words slipped from his lips before he could stop them. For a second time the girl rose from her chair. "'You will go?' she entreated. "'You will go to-morrow?' Her hand was on the latch of the door. "'You will go?' He had risen and was lighting a cigar over the chimney of the lamp. Laughing, he came toward her. "'Yes, surely I am going, to see you safely home.' Suddenly he turned back to the lounge and belted on his revolver and holster. When he returned, she barred his way defiantly, her back against the door." You cannot go. Why? Because—he caught the frightened flutter of her voice again—because they will kill you. The low laugh that he breathed in her hair was more of joy than fear. I am glad that you care, he whispered to her softly. You must go, she still persisted. With you, yes he answered, "'No, no, to-morrow. You must go back to Le Pas, back into the south. Will you promise me that?' "'Perhaps,' he said. "'I will tell you soon.' She surrendered to the determination in his voice and allowed him to pass out into the night with her. Swiftly she had led him along a path that ran into the deep gloom of the balsam and spruce. He could hear the throbbing of her heart and her quick, excited breathing as she stopped, one of her hands clasping him nervously by the arm. "'It is not very far from here,' she whispered. "'You must not go with me. "'If they saw me with you at this hour—' He felt her shuddering against him. "'Only a little farther,' he begged. She surrendered again, hesitatingly, and they went on more slowly than before, until they came to where a few faint lights in the camp were visible ahead of them. "'Now you must go.' Howland turned as if to obey. In an instant the girl was at his side. "'You have not promised,' she entreated. "'Will you go, tomorrow?" In the luster of the eyes that were turned up to him in the gloom, Howland saw again the strange sweet power that had taken possession of his soul. It did not occur to him in these moments that he had known this girl for only a few hours, that until tonight he had heard no word pass from her lips. He was conscious only that in the space of those few hours something had come into his life which he had never known before, and a deep longing to tell her this to take her sweet face between his hands as they stood in the gloom of the forest, and to confess to her that she had become more to him than a passing vision in a strange wilderness filled him. That night he had forgotten half of the strenuous lessons he had striven years to master. Success, ambition, the mere joy of achievement, were for the first time sunk under a greater thing for him, the pulsating human presence of this girl. And as he looked down into her face, pleading with him still in its white silent terror, he forgot, too, what this woman was or might have been, knowing only that to him she had opened a new and glorious world filled with a promise that stirred his blood like sharp wine. He crushed her hands once more to his breast, as he had done on the Great North Trail, holding her so close that he could feel the throbbing of her bosom against him. He spoke no word, and still her eyes pleaded with him to go. Suddenly he freed one of his hands and brushed back the thick hair from her brow and turned her face gently, until what dim light came down from those stars above? glowed in the beauty of her eyes. In his own face she saw that which he had not dared to speak, and from her lips there came a soft little sobbing cry. "'No, I have not promised, and I will not promise,' he said, holding her face so that she could not look away from him. "'Forgive me for—for doing this,' and before she could move, He caught her for a moment close in his arms, holding her so that he felt the quick beating of her heart against his own, the sweep of her hair and breath in his face. "'This is why I will not go back,' he cried softly. "'It is because I love you, love you.' He caught himself, choking back the words, and as she drew away from him her eyes shone with a glory that made him half reach out his arms to her. "'You will forgive me,' he begged. "'I do not mean to do wrong. "'Only you must know why I shall not go back into the South.' From her distance she saw his arms stretched like shadows toward her. Her voice was low, so low that he could hardly hear the words she spoke, but its sweetness thrilled him. "'If you love me, you will do this thing for me. "'You will go to-morrow.' "'And you?' "'I?' he heard the tremulous quiver in her voice. "'Very soon you will forget that you have ever seen me.' From down the path there came the sound of low voices. Excitedly the girl ran to Howland, thrusting him back with her hands. "'Go! Go!' she cried tensely. "'Hurry back to the cabin. Lock your door, and don't come out again tonight.' Oh, please, if you love me, please, go. The voices were approaching. Howland fancied that he could distinguish dark shadows between the thinned walls of the forest. He laughed softly. I am not going to run, little girl, he whispered. See? He drew his revolver so that it gleamed in the light of the stars. With a frightened gasp, the girl pulled him into the thick bushes beside the path until they stood a dozen paces from where those who were coming down the trail would pass. There was a silence as Howland slipped his weapon back into its holster. Then the voices came again, very near, and at the sound of them his companion shrank close to him, her hands clutching his arms, her white, frightened face raised to him in piteous appeal. His blood leaped through him like fire, He knew that the girl had recognized the voices, that they who were about to pass him were the mysterious enemies against whom she had warned him. Perhaps they were the two who had attacked him on the Great North Trail. His muscles grew tense. The girl could feel them straining under her hands, could feel his body grow rigid and alert. His hand fell again on his revolver. He made a step past her his eyes flashing his face as set as iron almost sobbing she pressed herself against his breast holding him back don't 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 she whispered they could hear the cracking of brush under the feet of those who were approaching suddenly the sounds ceased not twenty paces away from his arms the girl's hands rose slowly to his shoulders to his face caressingly, pleadingly. Her beautiful eyes glowed, half with terror, half with a prayer to him. Don't, she breathed again, so close that her sweet breath fell warm on his face. Don't, if you, if you care for me. Gently, he drew her close in his arms, crushing her face to his breast, kissing her hair, her eyes, her mouth. I love you," he whispered again and again. The steps were resumed, the voices died away. Then there came a pressure against his breast, a gentle resistance, and he opened his arms so that the girl drew back from him. Her lips were smiling at him, and in that smile there was gentle accusation, the sweetness of forgiveness and he could see that with these there had come also a flush into her cheeks and a dazzling glow into her eyes. "'They are gone,' she said tremblingly. "'Yes, they are gone.' He stood looking down into her glowing face in silence. Then, "'They are gone,' he repeated. "'They were the men who tried to kill me at Prince Albert. "'I have let them go, for you.' Will you tell me your name? Yes, that much, now it is Melis Melis The name fell from him sharply. In an instant there recurred to him all the Croisset had said, and there almost came from his lips the half breed's words which had burned themselves in his memory. "'Perhaps you will understand when I tell you this warning is sent to you by the little Melis. "'What had Croisset meant?' Melis, he repeated, looking strangely into the girl's face. "'Yes, Melis. She drew back from him slowly, the color fading from her cheeks. And as she saw the light in his eyes, there burst from her a short, stifled cry— "'Now you understand, you understand why you must go back into the south,' she almost sobbed. "'Oh, I have sinned to tell you my name. But you will go, won't you? You will go, for me?' "'For you I would go to the end of the earth,' interrupted Howland, his pale face near to her. "'But you must tell me why. I don't understand you.' I don't know why those men tried to kill me in Prince Albert. I don't know why my life is in danger here. Croisset told me that my warning back there came from a girl named Melise. I didn't understand him. I don't understand you. It is all a mystery to me. So far as I know, I have never had enemies. I never heard your name until Croisset spoke it. What did he mean? What do you mean? Why do you want to drive me from the Wekusko? Why is my life in danger? It is for you to tell me these things. I have been honest with you. I love you. I will fight for you if it is necessary. But you must tell me, tell me." His breath was hot in her face and she stared at him as if what she heard robbed her of the power of speech. "'Won't you tell me?' he whispered more softly. "'Melisse.' She made no effort to resist him as he drew her once more in his arms, crushing her sweet lips to his own. Meleese won't you tell me?' Suddenly she lifted her hands to his face and pushed back his head, looking squarely into his eyes. If I tell you, she said softly, and in telling you I betray those whom I love, will you promise to bring harm to none of them but go, go back into the South? And leave you? Yes, and leave me. There was the faintest tremor of a sob in the voice which she was trying so hard to control. His arms tightened about her. I will swear to do what is best for you and for me, he replied. I will swear to bring harm to none whom you care to shield. But I will not promise to leave you." A soft glow came into the girl's eyes as she unclasped his arms and stood back from him. "'I will think, think,' she whispered quickly. Perhaps I will tell you tomorrow night, here if you will keep your oath and do what is best for you and for me. I swear it. Then I will meet you here, at this time, when the others are asleep. But tomorrow you will be careful, careful. Unconsciously she half reached her arms out to him as she turned toward the path. You will be careful tomorrow, promise me that. I promise. Like a shadow, she was gone. He heard her quick steps running up the path, saw her form as it disappeared in the forest gloom. For a few moments longer he stood, hardly breathing, until he knew that she had gone beyond his hearing. Then he walked swiftly along the footpath that led to the cabin. End of chapter six